Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 144 of the Debt-Free Dad podcast. Now, one of the number one goals I often hear, especially for people who are wanting to get out of debt or clean up their debt, is I want to buy my first home. Or Brad, I really want to move. I want to buy my more ideal home. How do I know when I'm ready to do that? Or how do I budget for a home purchase? Or what does it look like to be financially ready? to buy a home. We are going to talk all about this topic on today's show. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Debt-Free Dad Podcast, where we're helping normal, everyday people learn how to save money and kick debt so they can live a happier and stress-free life. Now, here's your host, Debt-Free Dad, Brad Nelson. Hey, what is going on, everyone? You can find me on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. Just search Brad Nelson, Defrey Dad. And uh, as always, guys, welcome to today's show. Remember to get all the resources, show notes, and links from today's show. You can head over to balancedsense.com forward slash 144. That's B-A-L-A-N-C-E-D-C-E-N-T-S dot com forward slash 144. So uh, kind of a big topic today, guys. Uh, talking about home buying. You know, how do I budget for a home? Uh, am I ready to buy a home? And uh, today we just want to talk a little bit about some keys uh, for home buying and budgeting success. And, and again, this isn't meant to be like an all-inclusive master list, right? Uh, but we are going to kind of just hit on kind of the bigger things and, and things that surprised me. Um, I've owned three homes. Uh, one, I lost to foreclosure and uh, luckily was able to sell in a short sell, uh, which was good. But uh I understand what it feels like to to get into a house that feels great and then also to get into a house that you can't afford and your house broke, right? We we don't we definitely don't want that. Uh but sometimes the emotion and this uh you know push to be a homeowner can can make you do some silly things and get yourself into some tough spots when it comes to home and a home purchase. So uh today we just want to kind of talk about and just cover some of the basics and hopefully, you know, if you're looking at buying a home or you're looking at maybe selling your home and getting into a bigger home or moving. Uh, maybe some of this information uh, will help you out. So guys, just off the top of the bat, was, was there anything, and I know we're going to talk about a few different things, but if if you guys had to go through the home buying process again, you know, what were some things that maybe surprised you guys the most about it? Um, Was it money? Was it stress? Was it, I mean, what shocked you about it? Was what like anything pop up that you just didn't expect? The stress, I said, I would never do it again. <laughs> you so wait, so you're never you're staying in your house for the rest of your life. Well, now that I'm here, I probably won't, but <laughs> now that the stress is gone. <laughs> but no, it was like it was probably that was our first home purchase. It was a lot of unknowns. It was just very stressful, even though we were so prepared, or I felt like we were so prepared, I was still incredibly stressed and I did not enjoy the whole process at all. Yeah. I, I there was actually, um, and Ryan, you might be able to talk about this too. Cause I know your wife did real estate for a while, but when I was, I did real, I was in real estate for a very short period of time, maybe seven, eight months tops, um, got my license and I just worked kind of side by side with this other real estate agent just to kind of see if I would like it. This is back in my early twenties. And I remember one of the statistics that I read when I was going through and trying to learn how to become a real estate was that buying and being a part of a real estate transaction for most people is the same stress level as finding out that you have cancer. <laughs> I was what? Like, yeah. <laughs> I was shocked, yeah, okay, right? I could kind of 
I, I guess. I don't know. I've never had cancer. So, <laughs> right. Especially if you're one that, like, if you're selling and buying at the same time, and then one transaction doesn't go through, and it's like a domino effect, right? To a bunch of others. Um, I could totally see that. But, Ryan, anything that you, you want to hit on that surprised you about home buying at all? Yeah. I mean, we're going to touch on it here, but like the one thing I think that we were, we just weren't. I don't want to say smart's not the right word, but we just weren't educated on it. And that is when it came to like what we could afford as a house, right? Um, Pretty much everything we've seen and every, you know, there's, you can go online right now. There's tons of calculators you can find on all the banking websites. There's a lot of horrible advice going around on TikTok from mortgage brokers. Um, All these people that are basically telling you how much you can afford. Right. And like, none of them can tell you that like you have to figure that out. Yep. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing that got us into trouble the most is because, you know, they use the numbers and like based on the mortgage principles from such and such and such, they're not wrong. They're not lying to you, but it's just what the, it's what the mathematical equation says that you could afford based on the income you tell them you have. Right. It doesn't take anything else into effect, any of your goals, anything else. And we just were ignorant about that. It was like, well, it says we can afford this and yeah. we're going to get a house a little less than that. So we're fine. Yep. You know, and we were house poor because, you know, we had a big, huge house and a big, huge payment. And we just, you know, I'm not mad at anybody. It's our own fault, but we kind of trusted the people in the banks that they knew what to do for us. And they, they're not bad people. It's just not their job to financially educate you. It's their job to sell you a mortgage. Right. Wait, wait, wait. So you trusted the financial industry. Come on. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. We all do. Right. They're supposed to be that fiduciary. Oh man. And that's again, if you're, if you work in the banking industry or this is not, we're not hating on people, but it is, there is some, shady stuff that happens. No, no question. I'm going to share a little bit of some of the stuff that I uncovered, but, um, yeah, I would say, I think for me, I I would kind of go along with what Ryan said. We're going to get into that a little bit, but the other one for me was moving and telling myself I didn't really have that much stuff. Right. (laughs) When we moved, how much stuff we really had, that was probably, and again, cause I do this for a living. So this last transaction that we just did like 18, 20 months ago was, I kind of already knew it was coming, but, um, I would say the amount of stuff I had was probably the most surprising. <laughs> I, and I thought I thought we were living minimalistic. Yeah, not so much, not so much. So step number one, step number one to really get yourself to a point where you're ready to buy, or you know, ready ready to buy a home, is uh, really to look at your debt. You know, so so I would suggest, and again, we're here to make suggestions. We're not telling you that this is, has to be the way you do it, but based on my experience, I would just reduce as much of the debt as you can before you buy a house. Especially things like, you know, your high interest credit card debt, uh, personal loans, payday loans, loans you or, you know, money you owe to friends and family. Um, And the other thing you want to kind of look at, too, is, you know, if you're getting on a budget, have a budget, you're looking at your total amount of debt that you have. If if that is like stressing you out a little bit, like if you're looking at that and you don't have a house yet and you're kind of like, wow, this is a lot. I'm telling you, adding a home is only going to make it worse, right? Um, but but for some reason here in the United States, we 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 glorify home buying, right? It's like this ultimate thing, and it is it can be a really good thing, but for a lot of people, it can also get them into a tougher situation. And and when that happens, typically it's like, well, I haven't been managing my current finances, but they say it's smart that I should buy a home. 
let's go buy a home and add all this stuff back onto it. And, and, and we want to talk about stress. That's well, where- they don't just glorify the home buying process. So they glorify the fact that renting is like a sin, correct? Like, they, like or not glorify, but like they, they make it sound so bad that you're not, you're not investing in anything and you're just throwing your money to the person who owns the place you're renting. Right. Right. Yeah. It becomes a very like single leveled argument about like the key to financial wealth is to buy a home. Right. And they don't, but they don't want to dive deeper into that argument. It's just, that's the argument and buying a home is the key to financial wealth. And then that's it. That's the end of it. It's like, wait, well, hang on. It's really not like that's part of it. I'll agree with you, but it can also be lead to financial ruin if you're not ready for it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I was actually looking on our on our podcast list because we did that. Uh, I'm trying to just find what episode it is. I'll have to see if I can get it before we end this. Uh, I thought I just saw. Oh, yeah, here it is. Is renting a waste of money and a sin? This is episode 60. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, Amber just brought this up. I'm glad you brought it up. Go to uh, episode 60 of our podcast list, and we talk all about renting and how that can kind of fit into your whole get-out-of-debt journey. Uh, but, uh, anyway, so reduce as much debt as you possibly can. The next step is, uh, really to make sure that you have the ability to save, right? Um, so having a large emergency fund at the point of when you're ready to buy a home is a really good thing to have. All right. I think this is probably one of the things that most people overlook. Most people probably skip it altogether. Uh, if you look at saving statistics and how much money, I mean, the majority of people can't even cover a $400 expense without having to borrow the money right now. Um, we want to kind of stay away from that, right? So ideally speaking, before you buy a house, build yourself a large emergency fund. Uh, 100% this saved us. It's huge. Like, oh my gosh, we've been here two years um, next month and we have dipped into our emergency fund more times. I can't even remember how many times we've dipped into it in the last two years because stuff just came up and we would have had to go back go into debt had we not bought our house and had the emergency fund and had that plan. Yeah, we just, we just dealt with the same thing, you know, and I think, um, over the last 18 months, I would say our finances have had a really fun roller coaster since we bought this house. And I, I would agree. I think we, there was no question. We would have been right back into debt had we had not had emergency fund and a plan and a budget, um, that we could work with when these things came up, you know, um, and it's not just the house. It's like, oh, all of a sudden, you know, the car needs $2,000 worth of repairs, needs new brakes, needs new tires, needs new rotors. Um, oh, that happened. Or, you know, medical bill comes up, right? It's like, so it, that's what we mentioned earlier. Like if, if the current state of your finances is stressing you out, adding the house on isn't going to help. Like it's, it's, it's going to add on even more of the stress. So having that emergency fund. And if you don't have it, like, again, we're not saying you can't buy a house, even though I would really stressed to get this first, but, um, at least have the ability to save, right? So when you're setting up your budget and when you're going through your expenses of, okay, this is what we think we can afford for a house. These are all of our bills. This is what we got to pay. Like if you get to the end of that budget and there's no money to save, you're in a really bad spot. That's not a good place to be. You want to be able to at least have a good chunk of money every month that you're able to save that you can either work with to cover unknown expenses that are coming up or be able to put that money away into some sort of savings for your future, right? For future expenses that are going to come up. So emergency fund is just, uh, it, it's like a big giant hug that you're going to need when you're a homeowner. There's no question. Uh, obviously the next one we kind of mentioned is just having a good monthly budget, 
So uh, budgeting is going to make the home buying process a lot smoother and a lot less stressful as it will the rest of your life. Um, you know, when you first get started with budgeting though, we, we've got tons of episodes here on this podcast about budgeting. Uh, make sure you go check them out. We, we talk, you know, budgeting basics for beginners, how to get started. All of that stuff is here on this podcast. But if you don't have a monthly budget before you buy a house, like th- you got to have one of these things done, knowing where your money's going, having control over where your money's going. Um, so important. And as I mentioned for us, having this budget has really been kind of like, it's like a really good teammate almost like in, in the home ownership process of, okay, how are we going to plan for these upcoming expenses? How are we going to plan to still meet our financial goals? Like the budget is the plan that helps us keep it all together. All right. The next area you want to make sure you try to do is to budget and save up for a down payment. All right. Now, ideally speaking, you're going to want to shoot for 10 to 20% of whatever the total purchase price of the home is. Right. So, uh, easy math. If you were going to buy a hundred thousand dollar house, 10 to 20 grand is what you'd want to save up for that house. All right. If it was a $200,000 house, 20 to 40 grand ideally is what you'd want to save. All right. Now, the reason for that is, is because when you are able to save at least minimum of, uh, of getting to the, to the 20%, you avoid PMI insurance or private mortgage insurance. So anything less than 20%, the mortgage company is going to say, okay, we now, you can, we'll take this, but you have to carry a private mortgage insurance basically to ensure that the mortgage is paid essentially, right? And that is going to be based on a certain percentage, you know, so that could be depending on the home value. It could be, you know, 80, 90, hundred bucks. It could even be upwards of two, $250. It just kind of depends on the overall home value uh, of the house that you're purchasing. All right. Uh, there are other programs out there and we're going to talk about finding like a good lender, right? Someone that you can work with on this, but there are other first time home buyer programs and, and people might be like, well, Brad, what do you think about like FHA loans? Three and a half percent down. You can look at these. Um, I think in this day and age, based on where we're at, just financially speaking and where a lot of people are at, where the housing market's going, I would say, you know, 10 years ago, I would say stay away from FHA loans, but now 10 years where we're at now and seeing how housing, housing prices have just skyrocketed. I mean, being able to save up 10 to 20% and being able to obviously keep pace with the way that houses are rising in price and being able to still meet that 10 to 20% is getting harder and harder all the time. Um, I still think it's a good goal to shoot for, but FHA loans, three and a half percent down payment programs, you know, those home buyer, first time home buyer programs, you can definitely look into them just understand everything that you're getting into, right? How it works, how it's going to affect you long-term interest rates. I mean, there's definitely some different requirements for FHA loans. So again, having a good lender, which we're going to talk about here in just a second, can help walk you through and, and teach you a lot of these things that you need to know about some of these programs. Very much like Ryan said, the only thing I'm going to tell you is that don't take everything that they say like they've scribed it into stone, right? And this is just the way it is. And you look to them as the experts. Like you really want to find people, interview people, look for someone who's going to teach you, show you, and really explain everything to you so you make a good decision for you, not necessarily what's great for their pockets and making them money. All right. So you just want to make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into. Uh, Closing costs. Guys, this one always, um, I think, probably surprises a lot of people is just the overall closing costs of, of the, of the whole purchase, right? So things like earnest money, 
you know, when you put in an offer, you got to put in some earnest money, like, hey, this is a good faith offer. We're putting this money up forward, right? Uh, home inspection. Like, if you get a home inspection done, you have to pay cash for that. When we got our home inspection done 18 months ago, I think we paid like $525 for our home inspection. Um, if you get any sort of testing done, like, uh, I think it's, what is it, radon? I think it's radon that they do, radon testing um, or any sort of mold testing or anything like that. Unless you negotiate it into the contract where the seller has to pay it, you as the buyer will likely have to pay to plan or are plan to pay a lot of those, those costs that go with that real estate transaction. Uh, obviously, then you have your closing costs of your loan. So again, this is something that your lender will go through with you. Uh, they'll actually give you a estimate, a loan estimate that they have to give you that kind of goes through and spells everything out, uh, gives you all the numbers that you need to know, and everything will be right there, and you should be able to see exactly what it's going to cost you uh, to close out those loans. But these are all things that you're going to want to plan for early, not like emotionally go out and put an offer in a house without doing some of this homework, and then all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, we need earnest money. Holy crap, we got to pay for a home inspection. Holy crap, we got... We got we got to have closing costs, right? And 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 like Amber, you mentioned the stress can really come on very very quickly if you're not prepared for some of this. And, stuff. and I was prepared for all of that. I was prepared for the closing costs, the lawyers' fees, the you know. <laughs> and we still, it was still very very stressful. Yeah, even when you're prepared, right? It's a lot. It's a lot to take on. Um, the other one is just budgeting in general. Just looking at future expenses. This is one of the five daily financial to dos that we teach our Roots members. Uh, is number five is really just about looking looking ahead towards the future. So when you are a home buyer, what other expenses are you going to have? I can tell you one of the number one things that most people miss is that they have to keep up on the house, like the maintenance of it. Now, the recommended percentages that they say to to budget for future improvements is like one to three percent of the total value of the home. All right, so. For instance, per per year, per year. Yep. Per year. So let's say you own a $200,000 house on the high end. You're going to want to budget set aside, be able to save and set aside $6,000 a year to be able to make improvements. Now it may not happen that year. Maybe it happens in the next year, right? But you're putting that money away to be able to pay for some of those home improvements. Now, this is why the home equity line of credit has gotten so popular, right? Because people don't do this. So what happens is that they bust into their home equity to pay for future repairs. Now I get there are certain situations where you may need to have that happen. I get that life's not perfect. Not not everything's going to work out perfectly. Like for instance, you know, if if for some reason, you know, we had all of a sudden major roof damage, you know, where it was going to cost, you know, 20, 30 grand to get, our roof fix, like it would be pretty tough for us to get that covered. Like we'd have to probably take on debt, even being debt free, right? But you still have to do your due diligence to stay out of some of that stuff, right? So, you know, things like fixing a sink. Um, I mean, it's just the little things. We just finished up a little deck area. It's tiny. It's like a five foot by 10 foot little deck area where our, where my uh, grill sits on. It was like a hundred bucks just for the boards, right? It's just so it's just like all of those little things. Uh, address numbers. We just bought address numbers. It was like forty dollars for address numbers for metal address numbers. We didn't want the plastic ones because we didn't want to know the last <laughs> forty bucks. I was like, holy crap, right? So it's just it's like all light switch covers, electric light switch covers. Um, it's just like all of these little things, right? It, it's not always just these big giant things. It's all the little things, painting and just all of those things that you're going to want to think about 
as a homeowner that you are now going to be 100% responsible for. Um, the other when thing I, too I, is, I think, I think too, you know, when you're buying a house, you have to look at the house you're buying. Right. I mean, especially when it comes to this sort of thing. So we bought this house, you know, almost nine years ago. And if you look at this one to 3%, I mean, this is fairly accurate. I would say from nine years ago, from when we bought it till now, we've probably spent close to $40,000 on repairs, upkeep, just gen. It's not all like making it nicer and curtains and fanciness, you know, like we replaced the heat and air this year. We've had to replace the water heater. We've had to do some other, uh, some other major plumbing things that were a thousand dollars here, you know, $1,500 there. And so like, I would say over these nine years, you know, we had a patio door we had to have replaced. Um, I'm not super handy. Maybe you've got someone in your family that knows how to do all that. I don't, I can't do it all myself. So like we had to stick, you know, put out a lot of money for all this stuff. And when we bought the house, we knew like, if you're buying an older home and the heat and air is 20 years old, you better plan to replace that, you know, probably in the first five to 10 years, you own that house, Yep. you know, or if you bought a house and the roof is 30 years old, you better plan to re-roof the house. And you better plan to budget for re-roofing the house. I think a lot of us, and when I when I bought my houses earlier in my life, it's like I was focused on the payment and like, I'm not going to have to do that. It'll last. I'll never have a, you know, it'll be fine. You know, and then when it's not fine, it's like, oh, crap, what do we do? And it's like, right. break the charge card out and here we go. Yeah. It's crazy. We just had someone over and we don't need them just yet, but we will when we probably get our roof done in the next five, seven <laughs> years. But uh, we, we had someone come over and give us a quote for gutters. There's like those cool leaf guard gutters. This one's with the covers on the top. Yep. And so we have like a lot of big oak trees around our house. So we get a lot of leaves in the fall, which is going to start happening here anytime now. Um, and they wanted list price. His first offer was 20 grand for gutters. 20 grand. I was what? like, what kind of gutters you got here? What are these? These plated in gold? And then it finally, you know, because he, again, he's a salesperson. I get it. So, you know, we were going back and forth. He's talking to me. And then his last offer was 12 grand for gutters. <laughs> so there you go. That's I, no, we didn't buy them. There's no way. I was like, still way in hell. I'm paying 12 grand for gutters. I was like, I'll go up in my roof and clean them up myself. <laughs> I don't need the fancy covers. But, but seriously, it's stuff like that that you don't think about. Like, oh, when your gutters aren't working, because again, rainwater going down your foundation, not a good thing, right? So you got to make sure that you're you're checking those things out. But nobody thinks about those kinds of things and the costs that go in with getting that stuff fixed. Like we put a fireplace liner in our uh, fire. We have a wood burning fireplace, and uh, it was like thirty eight hundred dollars, thirty eight hundred dollars for a stainless steel wood burning liner, new chimney, everything done. Uh, we love it, but holy crap! I would when I bought the house, I never expected that it would be that expensive for a fireplace liner. Um, so yeah, you, you just got to make sure you're doing your homework. This is why it's really good to get a home inspection done. And that way they kind of give you a kind of like a, a, you know, a list of all the things like, Hey, you're the things that are concerning about this house. Make sure you check out the prices of them and uh, have a plan for those things. Uh, next step for you is kind of once you get the foundation laid. All right. So you know, you've got a budget, you, you're able to save or you're building an emergency fund, you got some money set aside, uh, you're, you're paying off a good majority of your debt. The next step is really determining with that budget is what you can reasonably afford. And Ryan, you kind of, you know, hit on this as you talked about what surprised you most about the home buying process. But um, 25 to 28% of your gross income is the general rule. That's what they say is the, is the guideline, right? Now they say gross income. Now, my recommendation is to use take-home pay 
because that's what you actually bring home, right? So very much like Ryan said, you know, your your lender or your yeah your mortgage lender they may throw out a number at you like based on what you make and based on what your other debts are and based on where you're at, this is what you could afford. And and it may come back as like, holy crap, that's a lot higher than we thought. But can you really afford the payment that they're saying that you can afford? Because at the end of the day, once the loan's signed, they could give a rip if you can afford it or not, right? You got to afford it. You got to figure it out. But make sure you look at what you can afford first. And I would highly recommend, and I don't know, you guys can give me your feelings on this, before you even start looking at a house. Because emotion plays a role in a lot of this too, right? So, you know, I wouldn't suggest, hey, we're going to go buy a house. Let's call a realtor. Let's go out to these open houses. And, and really, let's not talk about the money side. <laughs> let's just go get ourselves falling in love with houses and then come to find out. It's like, holy crap, we can't afford most of these things, right? So make sure you determine what you can afford. Then go ahead and look and start looking at what are the houses that are going to be inside that budget? Yeah, I, I think this for us too was one of the one of the key things we we learned when we bought this house is we really used our take home pay as the basis for what we could afford, and we stuck to that twenty five percent. You know, we wanted to be twenty five percent or less because you know some of especially when you get into like FHA. I mean, depending on your on your situation, I mean, if you don't have a lot of debt, I mean, they'll they'll potentially let you go as high as 40 to 50% of debt to income ratio, you know, and the mortgage people aren't going to be shy of telling you that that's what you can do. They're not wrong. Um, They potentially, you could get allowed to have half your income wrapped up, but if it's half your gross income, that means you're potentially wrapping up maybe 60% of your take-home income in a house payment. And I think that that's what people get confused on a lot of time. When you're qualifying for a house, they're always using your gross. So if you're not saving for things like for retirement or doing all those things already, like, and then you go on a high like debt to income ratio, like you're going to have a really hard time saving for retirement or or paying for life insurance or doing all those necessary things that you're supposed to be doing um, if if you just buy so much house that you can't afford anything else. Yeah, the the other um, recommendation I would have as far as affordability is is looking at okay, if more than likely if you don't own a home now, you're probably renting, right? So if you're renting now and your mortgage is higher, then the potential mortgage that you're going to pay is higher than your current rent. Uh, I would I would recommend trying to pay the mortgage based on where you live now, right? So let's say for instance your your rent is twelve hundred dollars a month, all right. But the mortgage that you're looking at trying to afford is like $1,800, all right? So what I would suggest, rather than trying to assume you can afford that, is just afford it. See if you can. So make your rent $1,800 and take the $600 difference and just put that into your savings account or your down payment fund to ensure that you actually can make that payment. And do it long enough to prove to yourself that, okay, we can, we'll be able to handle this, right? And then adjust the rest of your budget you know, so so you can see, you know, how is the how's this gonna affect groceries? How's this gonna affect going out to eat? How's this gonna affect our lifestyle, right? Because, you know, six hundred bucks difference, if that's what it is, or any difference in your budget is going to change some things for you uh, on a day-to-day life, right? So you wanna make sure that you can handle some of those things. Uh, now we talked about working with a mortgage lender to discuss your loan options, because there's a lot of different things out there. You know, you got a 15-year mortgage, you can get 10-year mortgages, you can get 30-year mortgages, you can get, you know, um, you know, the, the FHA type things. Like there's there's so many different options that are out there. It's really important for you to find a lender that will teach you about them, not just 
tell you this is what you need, but really go through your stuff and show you, okay, based on where you're at, these are the, these are the things that you can look at. Now, again, remember, just because they say it does not mean it's the law or it, this is the way it is, right? Um, you know, because again, if there are things that in your gut you feel like, ah, I just don't know if I want to do this or it's a lot more than I thought it was going to be, just, you know, listen to that, you know, and, and talk to a few different lenders, get other people's viewpoints and shop it around a little bit and and find somebody that can really work with you on this. And uh, it'll make the process that much better, especially if you have a good relationship with them and, and, and a trusting relationship with them as well. If you got a bad feeling about them, that's a good sign you got the wrong person, right? Um, so as far as what loans to recommend, I will say, I mean, the most common one that's out there is obviously a 30-year 30 30-year 30 fixed rate mortgage. Um, and I don't have anything against it except for the amount of interest that you're going to pay. Like if you compare the 30-year versus the 15 uh, you're going to pay an immense amount more interest over those 15 extra years. Uh, where there's a good argument on this, though, is, well, if I take out a 30-year fixed, instead of taking a 15, which would increase the loan amount, I'm going to take the 30, take the lower loan amount, and I'm going to cut the difference, and I'm going to invest the difference. In that case, you could have a good argument, right? That that could work. I've seen that. I've seen people talk about it. It's a good argument, Right. Here's the downside to that argument. Most people don't do it. Right? <laughs> they don't. Um, you know, it's like the same thing. Like people take a 30-year mortgage out. They say, I'm going to pay extra, make that one extra payment every year, or I'm going to pay a little extra to pay it off in 20 years. If you look at statistics, most people don't do it, right? So it, again, w- this goes back to that. We all have good intentions, right? We're really good at selling ourselves that we will do it. But will you really do it, right? So when we got our mortgage, we went with a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage. Um, Yes, I understand that that means that we are investing less in retirement. But at the same time, I also know my own behaviors. And I want a paid-for house by the time I retire. And I know that if I push it out to 30, I'm going to sell myself not to pay it off early, right? Because there's going to be a lot of other important things that are going to come up that I'm not going to pay it off. So 15-year it holds my feet to the fire. I got to get it done, right? And we're still able to save and invest in retirement. And by the time we get there, we'll also have a paid for house. So, but at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for you. I, you just have to understand what it is that you're getting into it. Don't just do a 30-year fixed rate mortgage because the lender told you to. Really understand how and what you're getting into. How is this going to affect your future goals? What are you paying in the long run? It all fits into your overall financial plan. And I think too, just... You know, when you're when you're meeting with lenders, you know, and it goes back to knowing what you can afford because 40 year mortgages are a thing now, you know, housing prices are crazy. And so if you go in to that lender, you just you really got to walk in knowing like having done your homework. Here's what we can afford. Here's what we want to pay because they're going to throw options out. And if you walk in and you're like, I don't know what we can afford. You may be walking out with a 40 year mortgage on a house that you can't really afford, but you're stretching it to 40 years. Cause Oh, I love it. So you really got to know what you're doing before you walk in. And, and again, and this is not a knock against mortgage lenders. They're there to sell mortgages. Yep. They're not there to help coach you and teach you all the financial things. Some of them are great and we'll do that. But most of them, like my son, he sells cars. He has people all the time asking like financial advice. How do I get out from upside down? He's like, I, I'm not like a financial coach when it comes to this. I sell cars. That's what he does. Right. Um, but 
you know, so you, you really need to know walking in what you can afford when you're going to see a lender. Right. Here, I'll just put it this way. We have people who are have been mortgage lenders and who do loans that come into our program to get out of debt. That's all we need to say. Right. <laughs> so yep. just because yep. they do those jobs does not make them right financial experts. So just be, again, just be cautious. Just make sure you understand. Do your homework. Go through some of this stuff. It'll pay off in the end. And then last but not least is working with a good real estate agent. I believe this. I, I don't, not a big fan of for sale by owner. Uh, I mean, I know that there's people out there who do it and who have success with it. But me personally, like I am not a home expert. Like I don't, watch the market real close. I don't, I'm not doing it every single day. Good, good agents would have your best interest in mind. So they're a fiduciary, meaning they're putting your financial interest, interest in mind before theirs. Uh, they've got great market information about what's going on with the market. You know, whether you're selling or you're buying, uh, they've got great negotiation skills. So this is going to be especially important when you want to get referrals. Like, Hey, is this person good? Because your realtor is representing you, right? Uh, whether you're buying or selling. Uh, so make sure you got someone who's really good at negotiation. Uh, make sure you got someone who's better than you at negotiation because hopefully they're going to be able to get you a better deal. Um, things that you didn't think of, right? Things that are going to be able to save you money. Uh, obviously have good experience and find again, an agent who's going to be able to teach you. And just, you know, a lot of these companies now do these first time home buyer programs where they've got classes and seminars that to take you through. And I think those things are all great. But again, I think the key to finding a good agent is finding someone that you can connect with that understands your needs, that understands your financial goals, what you're looking for, why you need it. And, and they respect all of that. Um, and I think that those things are, are super, super important. Uh, guys, would there be anything else lastly that you would share? And again, I, I understand, like we told you guys, this is not an all-inclusive, but these are just the big things that you want to focus on if you're either buying your first home or you're getting ready to get into the home buying process or selling process. These are just some of the things that you want to think about from a financial standpoint. I, th I think the biggest thing is just patience, have patience with the whole process. Like that is just huge. Don't rush into anything <laughs> because something, something might happen. That's just not what you're expecting. Yeah. It's crazy. I was, I was so shocked. See, we, we bought our house right in the thick of all of the, and it's still kind of going on in some areas, but right in the thick of like the home craziness back in uh, 2021. And I remember talking to my realtor and, and she's like, well, you guys should just be prepared if you want to buy a house now to to bid over what asking is probably like twenty, thirty, sometimes even forty thousand dollars if you want to have a chance of getting a house. And I'm like, no, <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> I don't want, I don't need a house that bad. I'm not going to participate, right? And she's like, well, we'll still look, but she's like, just prepare for that. But there were people buying houses without home inspections. There yeah. were people that, like just none of that. I was just like, it was it was just wild. What happened to the housing market? It's just wild. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for people who did buy and maybe bought too much. And will that play a role now that the recession is here and you know inflation is the way it is? Will it play a role in so anything in the, anything in the future in the next couple of years? I don't know. It'd be well, and anybody like we locked in at a really low interest rate. Yeah, you know. So now in three more years. Yep. I mean, chances are it's up. It's not going, I don't think it's going to start going down. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. That was the only benefit for us too. We, we lucked out. We found a good house, did not have to overbid, uh, needed some work. And I think that's one of the reasons why we found it. And, uh, we got on a lower interest rate as well. So we were very, very fortunate, but man, it was, it was just crazy what was going on. So anyways, hope those tips helped you guys out. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break and come back with some, uh, celebrations. Hey, if you love planners, this is for you. 
But do you know why planners frustrate me, though? Because they only get it half right. Now, sure, they're really fancy at helping you manage your time, which is really important, but where they get it wrong is money. Most planners don't include any financial planning, things like keeping track of paydays, bills and due dates, spending, yearly expenses, budgets, cash flow planning, debt elimination plans, goal planning, and that's a real pain. Then you've got to go and create your own, and who's got time for all of that? So instead, what happens? Nothing. We ignore our finances even more, and things only get worse. Well, that all ends right now today. I am so excited to announce the release of our brand new, totally awesome Debt Freedom Planner. Now, before you say, Brad, I've already got a planner. Well, this is not your ordinary day planner. This Debt Freedom Planner is a companion tool that works with your day planner to help you save more money, pay off more debt, and melt away financial stress. This is literally the tool that we've all been waiting for that works with your planner to help you take control of your money. So head on over to therealdebtfreedad.com. Click on the Debt Freedom Planner in the menu to get all the details to order your very own Debt Freedom Planner today. Hey, hey, what's this I see? I thought this was a party. That sound means it's time for the uh, celebrations of the show. And today we are kicking it off with Heather Buka. Heather says, just getting started and I can finally finish reviewing the last four months of my bank statements and canceling all unnecessary subscriptions. I started my emergency fund envelope and put my first $50 in. That is awesome. She says, baby steps. Absolutely, Heather. Congratulations to you for getting started. Those are some great wins. Max Wilder, I didn't eat out all week. That's a big win. This is tough, right? Mm-hmm. How long have you guys gone? <laughs> Amber, how long have you gone without going out to eat? I think a month. A month is the longest. Ryan, what about you? Have you guys ever done anything longer than that? Couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I we've I mean we've we've never I've never done any challenge. I mean, literally, it's probably been in the days. It's not a couple days here there. <laughs> I just, I just, literally, before we started this, I sent my wife a picture of the Mexican pizza's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> we got an email that says we got early access. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Thank you, Taco Bell. <laughs> that's funny. You get early access to it? Yeah, like, I, I don't know how, but yeah, I got an email or something that said, like, <laughs> you if you be- order through the app, you get early access to the Mexican pizza. You should, you maybe should be concerned that you get early access. <laughs> Maybe you've ordered too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Uh, Sandy's next. Uh, Sandy Kurtz Jarrett changed internet providers and I'm saving $80 a month. Yeah, that's huge. $80. That's awesome savings. Good for you. Brenda Philhauer paid off two small credit cards and she is getting back on track. Two small credit cards paid off. Man, Brenda, that uh, probably feels great. Thanks. Good for you. Uh, Amber at able to put $500 into savings after paying off a small credit card. Awesome. Way to go, Ann. Uh, Meredith Bellini, for the first time ever, started a sinking fund for my vacation in November. Yeah, that is awesome, Meredith. Congratulations to you. It's paying cash for that vacation. Awesome win. And uh, congratulations to all you guys who are working your way to financial freedom. And remember, if you're just getting started with our podcast or maybe you've been listening for some time and you're interested in how you can get started on the road to financial freedom, visit our website at balancesense.com and sign up for my free Life Without Payments workshop where I'm going to show you the first steps that have helped tens of thousands of people just like you and I kick financial stress and worry for good. And thanks for hanging out with us here today. We love your feedback and it also helps us grow our podcast. So please leave us an honest review. 
We read every single one of those. And as you guys know, the Debt-Free Dad podcast is here to help you live a happier and stress-free financial life. So if you know someone who could benefit from our show, please give us a share. We appreciate you. And we will see you guys on an upcoming episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Debt-Free Dad podcast. For more free resources to kick debt and financial stress, head over to therealdebtfreedad.com.